You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 93. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Andrew. And I am Padashah Emperor Shaddam IV. Where did the Dune reference come from? That we were talking about it earlier. Who's we? You and I, stupid! When? Like, ten minutes ago, we were talking about Yodorowsky's Dune. Oh, okay. All right. I'm with Fuck. you again. <laughs> like... I remember talking about. I just always wanted to say that. That's. I just think that's like a cool thing to say. Something about being it's better than like in Game of Thrones saying like the first of his name. I don't know. I don't even know what a Padashar is, but it just sounds cool. As a side note to that, we have a a work fish, and we have given him. His name is Blinky because my boss is a big Simpsons fan. <laughs> and we, he is Blinky, first of his name, and we give him the entire honor. I, I've modified them to be more appropriate for my for my job, but we've given him the entire honorifics of the King of Westeros, <laughs> right? And, like King of the Andals and the First Men, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean the whole the whole set of honorifics there. I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I just I just randomly saw this video of these two Japanese girls playing like a very intense game of rock paper scissor. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Only the Japanese can make this work. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. That's all right. So today we're going to be talking about a couple new trailers that came out. Yeah. And Pretty excited. So we got the the, the Wall, Spider Man, Spider Man Homecoming, uh, and also did you see War for the Planet of the Apes? I did actually just watch that one. That looks pretty cool. And then we've got a, a news piece about Michael Bay never directing a Marvel or DC film. Begin the ticker take parade, folks. Yeah, <laughs> which is saying something coming from dude. Yeah, I mean, I've never really understood the Michael Bay hate, but I I get it. He's not good. Right. And then finally, I think we're going to talk about, I don't think, I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, we planned it. Yeah, we actually did. It's amazing. It may not, it may not sound like it to you guys, but we actually did plan this time. Uh, we're going to talk about the death of Superman Lives, the documentary about the ill-fated 90s Superman film. Which I mentioned like a few times, like on previous podcasts, having watched. Yeah. And I think we were just fine, like, you know what? Let's just chat about this one. <laughs> because I've just been like, I watched it, and my impression was, oh, they didn't make this? Good. <laughs> that was basically my position on it when it was all said and done. All right. So, Sp Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, yeah. This looks, what do you think? This looks pretty interesting. I think it looks good. I mean, you know, we're on our third Spider-Man reboot in like 12 years. That's really amazing how many Spider-Man movies we've had. We were this is going to be number 6. Yep. And we're just and this you're as you said, this is the third time we're restarting this franchise. Yeah. So, but now it's officially a Marvel franchise, right? This it is, is no longer Fox. It is not, yes, it is now Marvel Studios. So there is reason to be excited. There is. We got Robert Downey Jr. in it. We do. Um, we Marissa Tomei. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton as the bad guy. I'm really uh, Michael Keaton reprising his theme of playing some sort of bird themed or flying themed <laughs> superhero. Right. Obviously. He was uh, Batman. Bird, obviously. Batman and then Birdman a couple years Birdman. ago. And now he is what was his Vulture. Vulture. This yeah. This will be. I'm actually okay with them going with Vulture. What do you think? Did, does Vulture stand out to you as far as Spider-Man villains? I don't know if I would say he's, he stands out, but I think we've done, you know, Green Goblin. Yeah, how we, many times have we been Green Goblin? Right, we, we've done enough of the other ones. You know, Venom didn't go very well. So I think doing the Vulture, it's, it's at least worth a try. And he doesn't look... I, I gotta say this about Vulture. He doesn't look ridiculous. That was one of my big fears, the way he would look... 
You know how goofy Rhino looked with Paul Giamatti? Yeah. I was really worried about that when I heard about Vulture. You look at it, he doesn't look goofy. He actually kind of has some semblance of believability to him. No, he does. No, I, I mean, I think that I think there's a lot of potential for this one. I, I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan, and like I said, this being being film number six, I'm just kind of okay, whatever. I'll go check yeah, it out when it comes out. But yeah, July seventh is what it's slated for. Yeah, I'm not like super, super. Oh my god, I have to see this. Yeah, I'm not either, but I am optimistic about this one. I like the guy who played Spider-Man in Civil War. I'm interested to see what he'll do in a full movie. Yeah. Because I wasn't really kind of impressed with, um, what's his name, Garfield last time. Yeah, although I liked Andrew Garfield more than I liked Tobey Maguire. Okay, I, I, I could see that. I wouldn't really argue one of the... I like Tobey, but I... Because I, I always thought Tobey Maguire was a really good actor, but I can... You know, I would say with the exception, of Spider-Man, Spider-Man, with the exception of Spider-Man 3, I'd agree with you. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man 3 was exceptionally awful. Yes, it was. I mean, that was exceptionally bad. I, I don't think anyone had their heart in that film. Topher Grace is Venom. Yeah, or, or that whole sequence where Tobey Maguire goes emo and gets jazz hands. Yep. That's one of the great head scratchers in cinematic history. It is. It really is. Like how they let that through. <laughs> that was So, yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm optimistic. I'm going to try and be optimistic about this one. All right. So what about War for the Planet of the Apes? Whoa. So here's a franchise that I have not been paying attention to at all. And now we're in our third film for this one, and we have Woody Harrelson as the main antagonist, and I'm pretty pumped, because I really like Woody Harrelson. No, Woody Harrelson's very good. Yeah, I mean, this is another franchise. I've seen the original Planet of the Apes film. Like, the original. The original. Yes. And I've seen, I saw most of the remake from, what, about 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't know how long it's been since we've started this franchise. Well, it started with Battle of the Planet of the Apes or something? War? Rise? Rise of Planet of the Apes? No, I'm not even talking about that one. I'm not. I'm talking about the, the straight-up remake they made. Oh, fuck. That one. Yeah, that one. Oh. Yeah, no, that was terrible. That was about 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. And then I, I haven't seen any of the any of the films in this in this series. Yeah, this one starts its franchise in 2000. Actually, I'll be honest, neither have I. <laughs> I haven't watched. Because I was just like, I didn't really want to watch it. Because I had a, such a bad taste in my mouth from the Tim Burton one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this they do look good though. Yeah, I mean, some of it I just not 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 so much the making the super intelligent monkey thing. Like mm-hmm. uh, like I'll 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 buy that as a part of a premise. Sure. That's you got to like, go with that or otherwise you're not watching this film. Right, but like watching watching the movie or like watching the the trailer when you've got, you know, guys with missiles and tanks and shit getting beat up by monkeys with rifles and arrows. I've always wondered about that. Like, just, how does that work? Yeah, I just kind of go, mm. like, like we, we know how that works. We have movies called, like, Zulu. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and nothing Zulu, but ramp up the British capability, you know, about a hundred times. Well, the thing about, like, the movie Zulu is they, they, over, they exaggerated the damage the Zulus did to the Brits. Right. Like, they did a lot more damage in real life. Oddly enough, that's also the, the single... T- the largest number of Victoria Crosses given up for a single engagement. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting fact. I think they tell you that either at the end or the beginning of that film. Uh, the end of the film, yeah. Still, but uh, you know what? I I might want to jump in on this franchise and really get get into it because I real I'll admit I've ignored it for the last five years. No, you know it's one of those I probably should check out, and I I, I think I will at this point. Mm-hmm. But I'm really just want to see it for Woody Harrelson because I am now of the opinion that Woody Harrelson. 
is the most famous and best supporting actor of this generation. Just because I've looked through the guy's IMDb, and he's like a supporting actor in everything. Not that he's bad, but he's just he's just for whatever reason always a supporting actor. Yeah. And you could like run off like a couple really great films that he's done as a supporting actor. You like you know, Zombieland, No Country for Old Men, uh, A Scanner Darkly from a couple of years ago. Oh, it was good. Yeah, so he's um, I just saw him the other day in The Edge of Seventeen, and he was fantastic. So he's always a really good supporting actor. Apparently, he was in Twenty Twelve. Never don't even remember. But yeah, it's I'm kind of excited to see him in it. Yeah. All right, then you told you you, you had me watch uh, The Wall. Yeah, this was brought to my attention the other day, and I thought my friend was talking about The Great Wall. Which uh, looks the, fuck awful, by the way. Yeah, there are people who are like, this looks ridiculous. We're talking about The Great Wall now. Yeah. And it might, it might actually like, be oh, it might actually be so bad it's good. Yeah, and it, some look, it's from the same guy who did, uh, as far as uh, the directors is concerned, Hero and House of Flying Daggers. So even if it's dumb... I'm almost certain it will look good. It'll be fun to watch. That's, That's at least yeah. my hope. Because he, he has a great eye for color. And I, I always like I've always liked that. Yeah. About him. But yeah, it's all this kind of weird controversy about that film and it's like I've been we've been talking about this for a while and we've posted it on like our, our pages Facebook our, our our blog's Facebook page is the kind of creeping influence the Chinese market has had on the American market. Yes. And we've talked about how like certain movies don't get released in China so they don't do well. How we saw like how awful Warcraft was earlier in the year and how the Chinese market saved it. And now with the Great Wall, you've got a partnership between American and Chinese film companies to have American and Chinese movie stars in it as kind of like a collaborative event or effort. So they're just gonna try and make as much money off of this as they can. Yeah. And the people who are not in the know make it this kind of like, oh, they whitewashed Matt da the Matt Damon character. And Matt Damon had to come out and explain, no, that the whole point of this movie is a collaboration between the two cultures. It's the whole point. Right. Like, figure it out, folks. But this movie, The Wall, uh, stars John Cena and our friend uh, Aaron Tyler Johnson from Kick-Ass and Godzilla as a pair of Marines, or I guess snipers. I'm not really sure if they're Marines or not, but they're a pair of snipers. Uh, who get trapped in a certain location by a bad guy sniper. Yep. And it's one of those movies that could be really cool and compelling, but could also be, like, really dull. And it's these uh, stuck-in-one-location movies. And we, you know what I'm talking about when we talk about movies like The Shallows with Blake Lively that came out this year where she's stuck on a rock the whole movie with a shark? Right. Or what's that movie, another uh, nautical-themed movie with the couple in the water like floating in the water for the entire movie what the open, hell is that open water open water and then there was that movie with um it was colin farrell in a phone booth i think it was called phone booth where basically the whole theme of this is we are stuck in one location right and sometimes they can be really good and sometimes they can be uh forgettable yeah i mean yeah the, the trailer is certainly compelling yeah but it's a question of you know actually i think is really going to be a question of is, is length of the film if they can get yeah. through this in a in a tight hour and a half, yeah, like in 80, 90 minutes. Yeah, if they can get through it in that that tight time frame, I think they'll be they'll do very well. If yes. they're pushing the hundred minute, hundred and ten minute mark, I think they're gonna People have could, they're gonna have trouble. Yeah, they're gonna be walking out or falling asleep. Yeah, there's there's always that. 
There's always that. So yeah, but I'm. Have you ever fallen asleep I, in a movie theater? Have I fallen asleep? No. I was with Rich once, and he fell asleep watching a movie with me, and I was really surprised when he did. Uh, it was we. It was this was years ago. We went to go see the Battle of Algiers. Have you ever seen that? Uh, about half of it. Yeah, it's it's black and white, and it chronicles the French uh, counterinsurgency in the Algiers during the fifties. In 60s, I think it was. Yep. It's a very compelling movie, and I really, really liked it. It's probably one of the best films that were ever made. And I was stunned that Rich just fell asleep halfway through the film. <laughs> like, he had no interest in watching this movie. Yeah. And I was, I was blown away. It was kind of funny. We had two very different reactions to it. Yeah, I was very have interested in... I have not. I, no, I was, it's funny. I was actually very interested in watching that film, and it, at the time, it just was not... Not in the the mindset for subtitles, but yeah, and plus it's a heavy movie. Yeah, you gotta be in the mood for something like that heavy. Yeah, no, I I have not. Um, Becky's come close a couple of times, I think, to falling asleep. Yeah, she she may not admit to it, but yeah, I know the the girl has also like nodded off because I can't keep her out too late, or she starts nodding off. Right. <laughs> so I know if like we did like a late night movie, she it wouldn't matter if she enjoyed it or not. One time I took her to a comedy club and she went into the back room and fell asleep on a couch. It's all late show. We we pushed back our uh, when we're gonna go see Rogue One. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, I would love to go to like a a midnight showing or something. For one, Becky has rehearsal until ten o'clock, so yep. obviously we couldn't see it before ten o'clock. And actually, realistically, both of us have to go to work the next day. Yeah, I don't I don't mind functioning on no sleep for something like that. Yeah, we've pu- she, we've she, she she's 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 well. yeah she is less. I mean, she she did it for she did it for episode seven, but in yeah. general she's less desiring inclined. of that. Yeah, inclined. Partially because she has to like take care of human beings, right? Right. I can sit in my cubicle and drool on myself. Yeah, we, we can. We're we're cube walkers. We can we can fake that. Yeah. So yeah. So we'll we'll see it on Friday at like six, which is a, certainly a reasonable time. Yeah. So obviously our news story for today is uh, that Michael Bay will never direct a Marvel or DC film. And this is actually his own decision. I can hear the cheering from Marvel and DC fans all across the world. I can hear the the cheering, not not from fans, from Marvel and DC. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Disney Disney and Warner Brothers are both losing their shit over this one. So Bay actually, this is is his own decision. You know, he really enjoys the films, he says. but, But basically he says, you know, I wouldn't want to. It's not my thing. It's just not my gig. Right. And and basically it's it's a creative yeah there have been a lot of issues with you know creative differences for these films like Edgar Wright walking off of Ant-Man because of quote-unquote creative differences especially with Marvel because they control the films so tightly right. and they've got such a specific way they want the films to be that the directors don't have nearly the level of creative freedom that they they would normally enjoy on a film i think probably the notable exception to that is John Favreau in the first Iron Man Yeah, and that's an interesting point because that was really early on when I don't think Marvel was exercising that level of control over their films. Like right now, you 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 know, Marvel is owned by Disney, so they want like a a, you know a half a billion, a billion dollar blockbuster movie every freaking time. Yeah. So the, the basically Marvel has created their own studio system, and we've seen articles on this before about how Marvel controls their product and how they come into conflict with kind of big name A-list creative directors yes. which is kind of like the theme we're going to talk about today with with the Superman Superman Lives movie 
And it just, for all intents and purposes, it seems that Marvel has just turned itself into its own studio system. So they're going to get directors who are competent studio directors who can listen to the producers and the executive producers. Right. And that's just what we have to expect with, we're going to get with Marvel movies. Yeah. Because I would not expect a big name director to come in and direct any upcoming Marvel movie ever. Like as much as I would love to see uh, like the director of John Wick do the Punisher, I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. Or, you know, early on we saw bigger name directors, right? We saw John Favreau, sure. we saw Branagh, you know, now they, they try and get these bigger guys in. Oh, okay, by the way, the name of the director of John Wick was a uh, Chad Stanliski. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. We got Edgar Wright in and then he left because of the creative differences. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see big names directing these Marvel I mean, films. just think of all the hard time they gave Josh Whedon. Yeah. With, with the Avengers. Like, the the first one, it was great, and they did the second one, and basically Whedon was like, I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. That's a fairly well-documented, you know, back oh, yeah. and forth. Like, I, never. I, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, you and I think, I know you're not a hu huge fan of most of the Marvel films, but I, 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 I respect the fact that you can appreciate Michael Bay not, not doing these is probably a better well, idea. Well, I mean, even... Let's talk about, like, I did enjoy the first Iron Man and first Avengers. I thought they are probably the 1A and 1B of that franchise. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not saying you you, you are completely just fuck all these movies. But no. in general, these are not your cup of tea. No, not generally, but... But, but, but even you can, you know, see the benefit of not having Michael Bay. Right. Oh, sure, sure. And, I, like, I've never understood the Michael Bay hate that a lot of people, like, pour onto him. Like, I understand he was, like, a music video director for you know, a while or something like that. But I get it. He's not that good. Like, I'm not going to defend Michael Bay here. I'm not going to be like, oh, what Marvel needs is Michael Bay I mean, my, my, in, their, in their franchise. My no, only real question, like, about Michael Bay, just constantly, I'm going, why is that exploding? Yeah, right? That, that doesn't explode. Least, you've seen that commercial of him, right? It's like a Verizon commercial where he's like, I'm Michael Bay and I demand things to be awesome. And, like, everything starts exploding. <laughs> yes, I have seen that one. That is really one of the, at least he has, like, a sense of humor about it. Oh, I, I think I think he has to. I don't, but if I, don't... I were to think like an, another major Marvel director other than Favreau and Whedon, I can't think I can't think of anyone. At least in the Marvel sphere, or at least in the Marvel Disney sphere. In the Marvel Fox sphere, you've got Singer. Sure, but I I, I mean with Singer, Singer's really more. Singer's not a famous director. Singer's famous because of yeah, but that's all he really wants to do. Right. He's done like X Men and Superman. And then, like, he did, you know, what, the usual suspects, like, 20 years ago. Sure. Yeah, I can't really think. And then I think in the DCs, you got Snyder, who, you know, much maligned for good reasons in most cases. But I can't think of another big Well, name. at this point, Snyder's not really directing, though. This is true. He's pr pretty much done. Although, yeah, cause I'm looking forward to a point where we're, where the DC films stop looking like Zack Snyder films. <laughs> like, they, they can keep the dark, the dark realism that they've got. I'm fine with that. You just don't but, want them to be blue and gray hued the entire time. Blue, blue and gray hued, and then have the random slow motion, <laughs> you know, Watchmen. Like we we see that in the in the Wonder Woman trailer, and I'm going, oh. Well, man. can we make an exception for for Gal Gadot because I would like to. I mean, uh, no, I mean, like I'm looking forward to the Wonder Woman movie, but there's a couple of those couple of those fight scenes where I'm going, oh, we're gonna do this in slow motion again. Okay. I just, no, I'm, what I want, I want her in slow motion. Okay, fine. The whole time, because I think she's. I mean, no, she she is she is very very good. Well, speaking of, if you get a trailer real quick, did you see the Baywatch trailer? No, I have not. 
it actually is kind of funny. There's one part where like one of the girls is like running and they're doing the Baywatch slow motion, and like this other character goes, "Why does it look like she's running in slow motion?" And then a guy next to her is like, "You see it too." <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. I'm actually kind of looking forward. They look like they're giving it the 21 Jump Street. Yeah, I mean, treatment. I I gotta I gotta say. And Becky and I were talking about this the other day. The Rock is actually a, be- a far better actor than I think people give him credit for. I absolutely agree. I love The Rock. I think he's a great comedy action actor. Yeah. I know he went into that phase where he did, like, really stupid stuff, but that was because, like, his kid got born, and he was like, oh, I'm going to do a bunch of kid movies. He pulled and in Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and then except someone pulled him, like, pulled except him, like, pulled him out, pulled himself out. Yeah, someone pulled him out of his Eddie Murphy phase and was like, "You don't want to go down this road." Because like, Eddie Murphy like, did, and yeah, we still haven't heard. From yeah, him. yeah, we haven't seen him since. He, yeah, he like he came up for air during Dreamgirls, and then that was the end of it. That oh, was the man, end. I miss Eddie Murphy. I miss like good Eddie Murphy films. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Death of Superman Lives. So I mentioned this a few times, and I guess you were like, finally, you know what? Maybe I should see this. I found. I finally found my copy. Is what it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I bought it at Phoenix, and I was like, where the fuck did I put it? <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, in, in, in large part, so just, just talking about Superman Lives, I, I, I tend to agree with you that I'm this is this is a movie that should not have been made. Right, because it kind of covers what we were talking about earlier, is you had a big-name director and big-name writers and big-name producers trying to make this movie in the late 90s, and it was just, I you know... Well, go over the basic plot before we go too deep into explaining this. So the basic premise, and I'll kind of cover the documentary and the movie. The, the basic premise of the of the film was going to be tell a, a film retelling of the death of Superman and then the return of Superman storylines. Mm-hmm. The the documentary basically covers the entirety of of the process from from when the producer got the rights all the way up through basically the point at which it was canceled. Just, just prior to going into production. Right, it's producer John Peters. Yeah, who, I mean, that, that dude was nuts. I was about to say that. I was wondering if I wanted to, was going to jump in and say, who is portrayed as an official certified crazy person in this movie. Even even some of the things he says. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been really... in fi- I've been in 500 fights. I've broken, I've had my nose broken. I felt, I felt my hands break. I've tasted someone else's blood. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> John Peters is the producer who gets the rights to this Superman movie and wants to make it. He's he's the driving force behind it. And all he wants to do is bring Superman back from, you know, the Donner grave and have him fight a spider. Like those are his two his two big goals. John Peters nut, <laughs> nut job. No, I mean, he's crazy. Superman and fighting a spider. That's all he wanted. Yeah. So, but again, so, you know, Peters Brings in brings in a very young Kevin Smith, and then brings had, in had Clerks come out by this point. Yeah, he was in the middle of filming Chase. He was promoting Chasing that's, Amy. Doing Chasing, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, this is like what I call prime Kevin Smith, who is between Chasing Amy and Dogma. Right, but this is Kevin Smith. He's he's burst onto the scene, and we know him as this big comic book fan already. Yeah. You know, now he solidified himself as the, it was kind of. I guess now it was. It's known, right? It's just Kevin Smith, comic book geek. You know, because he's already written comic books. He's, he talks yeah. about them on a regular basis. I mean, to the general public, they didn't know this. But, I mean, to the people who knew Kevin Smith or knew anything about him, knew that he's he wanted to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, Kevin Smith freely admits to, you know, basically he he wrote a fanboy's wet dream. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think he acknowledges the fact that, 
mm, probably wasn't going to be a great movie. Right. You know, he he, and just, then, he stuffed in as much fanboy stuff as he could. Sure. And his and I, they go through like his description of it, and it is very much like a best of greatest hits type Superman story. Yeah. Like that's really what it felt like, and then just making him do like crazy stuff. Uh, Superman, that is. Yeah. And then they, the movie, like, all of a sudden it starts to go down to a couple other writers, and they rewrite the Kevin Smith stuff, and then basically, like, the Kevin Smith plot is, like, just dismantled. It doesn't even remotely look the same. Yeah, so well, what happens is basically Tim Burton is brought on to direct, mm-hmm. at which point Tim Burton, is one of my favorite lines that Kevin Smith says, you know, Tim Burton was brought on. He's like, and I didn't realize that that basically signed the death warrant for my fat ass. <laughs> yeah. And Tim Burton brought on a writer that he had used in on Batman and or Batman Returns. Was that Gilroy or was that Strick? I can't remember which that was one Strick. that was. That was Strick, right. So that was the, yeah. Okay. That was the second writer. It was the second writer. And Strick was on for a significant amount of time. And then finally, because of Strick's involvement with Batman, and this is right after the last, bat, the fourth Batman film just mm-hmm. flopped. Yeah, so that was Batman... And Batman Robin. and Robin, because Batman and Robin flopped so hard, Strick's involvement with Batman at all had basically poisoned him towards Warner Brothers execs, right. and that's when they brought in Gilroy. Right. Yeah, it's one of those... So I, I gotta say, there are a lot of really cool concepts in this that they that they wanted to do in this film that I would love to see, I mean, realistically in the comics, but that I would love to see go somewhere. But I think the combination of, A, these kind of very disparate ideas and the quantity of them, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think, I think would have been a very terrible film. Well, not just that, but the technology at the time. And I think that's, I've talked to a few other people about this, especially when they start going through, here's my, like, this is my main beef with the film is the film is essentially uh oh what's this guy's um john schlepp is the guy's name the director and, and the interviewer is that how uh, yeah i believe so is or schnepp i don't want to i'm not i'm not trying to make fun of his name i just can't no uh schnepp i think is close is the whole movie is set up as hey we all know that infamous nicholas cage polaroid that had bad lighting and caught him in mid-blink with the goofy suit on. Like, we all know that. And it felt like, you know, and we're all like, oh, that was such a terrible movie, and it was, that that Polaroid was used by Brian Singer during Superman Lives to, like, this is why Superman I want to do my Superman, or Superman Returns, yeah, to, to make, make my movie my way. And it felt like the director, um, Schnepp, was, like, saying, oh, you know what, this could have been a really good movie. Let's not shit on this movie so hard because it could have been great and i just had this feeling and you see if you felt the same way as they were going through the concept arts who was going to be in it what they were going to do you're going yeah this all looks really great in concept art but you had to make this in 1998 1999 technology with tim burton and i was sitting there going and i throughout most of the film going I'm actually kind of glad. I'm kind of glad they didn't do this. I mean, did you feel that way? How are you feel? Or were you were you one of the like, oh man, this would look really cool? I don't see. I don't know that I would say that. Hey, oh yeah, this would have looked really cool. I think. I think you may be underestimating that the late '90s, early 2000s tech technology a little bit. I think. I will give them credit. I think we. I think we were seeing very early stuff, and I think if they had a, had a chance to refine it, it would have looked better. 
I think I don't think the Tim Burton aesthetic would would look would work very well for a lot of Superman. Yeah, I don't think he was the good direct the right director to go with with this particular I don't project. think I don't think so either. I mean, he, he had a lot of success with Batman, but you know, let's be honest, Batman is different. Batman's very different, but you got to think if you just look, you know, plus or minus a few years around this time, and I've got his his IMDb thing up. He had in 1999 Sleepy Hollow and then 2001 Planet of the Apes and then 2003 Big Fish and then 2005 Charlie and Chocolate Factory. And prior to Mars Attacks was Ed Wood and Batman Returns. I mean, maybe I'm being too hard on Burton, but that was not the, a, a, a great phase in his career. The, I um, don't know if he was at his sharpest. I don't know if he was at his sharpest because he certainly had some some hard flops in there. He had, he had some good movies in there too. Ed Wood is good. Edward Good is very different. This would have been a multi, multi hundred million dollar film, though. Oh, yeah, no, they were talking 200 to 300 million dollars for this film in 1998 money. Yeah. Like John Peters said, at least 200 million and then maybe another 100 million for marketing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, woof. Yeah, if, if I just, uh, I can't shake the feel. And look, I, this was so, I see, I don't know if I would have trusted Tim Burton at this time. However, Nicolas Cage at this time had not gone full crazy. Like, he was still a fairly respected actor who was doing some pretty good stuff at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, he, you know, he had just, he had done, I mean, I've always remembered him as in, in movies like Leaving Las Vegas, which I thought was fantastic. And then he did a couple of those action movies like The Rock and Con Air, Face Off. And then he had a couple, like, really interesting ones like uh, Bringing Out the Dead and Snake, uh, not Snake Eyes, that was kind of goofy. Or eight millimeter. No, certainly this... Nicholas Cage. I think is, a has more potential than we give him credit for. Like you said, because now he's just he's kind of nuts and he's doing a lot of really bad films. Yeah, he's just doing everything he can do to solidify his position as a crazy person. Yeah. What I one of the things I actually loved about the documentary though is getting to see a lot of the behind the scenes, like the 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 costume fittings and stuff, mm-hmm. and seeing how just extremely enthused Nicholas Cage was. For the, the potential of this role. Right. Like that, 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 that's the kind of thing that I'm really interested in is seeing, you know, how, how the energy, I mean, even more than Tim Burton, really, the energy that, that Nicolas Cage had for what they were trying to do. There is no doubt he wanted this role so badly. Yes. There's no doubt. So I do kind of feel bad for Nick Cage. And I, I like the part in the film where they're like, yeah, he can have, you know, big, uh, long flowing hair because in the early 90s, Superman had long flowing hair. But it was really kind of funny because Nick Cage was still kind of balding on top at this point. Yeah. So he had that long hair, but it was like really stiff and like thin on top. So he still kind of looked silly. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, the, the long hair, Nicolas Cage's long hair would not have worked. No. I think Nicolas Cage with short hair would have looked better. Or just a wig. Yeah, probably a wig. But then I'm worried they're going to give him some kind of Burt Wonderstone wig. <laughs> like, that's what I was like. We're going to give Nick Cage a big Burt Wonderstone wig. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I will say this. I did uh, the skull ship. I want that skull ship model. No, Keep it. Like, yeah, like oh, I that said, was kind of cool. Like I said, there's a lot of really cool things that I would have loved. I would love to see make it into, like, the comics. That, again, again the physical version that they made, not as much of the, like regeneration suit yeah but the concept art was a lot of fun like that was like mike i i could i could get behind that that's like a cool idea and it was interesting to see them talk about having brainiac as a villain yes we haven't yet to see brainiac on the big screen also christopher walken as brainiac christopher walken as brainiac which i 
at, again, at this time, Christopher Walken had not gone off the deep end. He was still still trying. He was still a pretty good actor. He he, he would have been a good choice for Brainiac. I mean, I would still want to see him with Brainiac just because it would be nuts. It would be because, like, today's Christopher Walken's, it would have basically, like, him be phoning it in as Brainiac. And that still would be pretty interesting to watch. Uh, is it Kevin Walken. Spacey as Lex Luthor? I don't know you're not a Lex Luthor fan. No, I mean, like, I'm kind of done with Lex Luthor. But, I mean, I think... And, I mean, Brian Singer used Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. Right. I think that has more to do with the writing in terms of why Kevin Spacey did not do very well as Lex Luthor as opposed to the actual, as opposed to his acting. Well, I thought Lex Luthor, at least in Superman Returns, gave an honorable performance. No, it was a good performance, but it was just Which, like, oh, yeah, that doing, was a dumb film. We're doing real estate again. Yeah. And, and then real estate that made less sense this time. Right. Like, you're going to kill billions of people. Who is going to buy homes? on, like, a creepy Kryptonian, like, damp swampland in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. Or where America used to be. Right. Like, you're going to sell real estate, you're going to destroy the richest country on the planet, so who are you selling real estate to? And it's like, how do you enforce that? You've got, like, Kumar from Harold and Kumar. Like, they're just people are just going to move on and take over. Like, yeah. it's going to kill you. I just, I, that whole movie was stupid. Yeah. I, I do think, actually, one of, one of the gems from this documentary, though, is Kevin Spacey doing a Christopher Walken impression. Yes. <laughs> so Kevin Spacey, in case you don't know, is a like a fantastic impersonator or a mimicker. And every now and again during like the award seasons, if he's doing like hosting or doing a number, like he can sing and he can like mimic. And I'm sure there's like videos of him out there doing other people. He's oh, actually I'm sure. Very, yeah. He's very good at that. And I do I do appreciate them putting that in there. Yeah, like Christopher Walken one though. He was he's pretty spot on there. Oh, yeah, no, he was he was very good. But I think, so the main point of the film is something we talked about earlier, and it's kind of why it's relevant with, with what's going on with Marvel and Michael Bay in this film. And they say it towards the very end. He's like, a movie isn't in developmental hell unless you have an A-list director attached to it. Yeah, that, 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 that was happened. very insightful, I thought. I thought that was, like, really the gem of the movie because me personally, I didn't walk away from this movie as, oh, I wish this movie were made. I walked away from this movie as this is a fascinating insight into how the Hollywood machine works, at least how it worked in the mid nineties. I, I would say it's even, even relevant now because if you just going ahead a little bit, if you look at how the movie di actually died mm -hmm. when they start looking at, you know, just the Warner brothers flops, just flop right. after flop, after flop, after flop. And suddenly the, 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 um, they've got this Titanic, you know, in the pipeline. Well, they, they've got this massive film in the pipeline that they are just unwilling to take any risks. You know, right. you, you see that when a, when a studio takes a bunch of hits, they turtle in, put out really conservative films until they're they're doing okay, and they start getting very picky and choosy about what they put out. Right, and then they they kind of revert to that studio system. And let's be honest, Tim Burton is not, you know, you're he's a successful director, but he's not. A director with this big, wide, mainstream appeal. No, he, just, he puts out very unique, very interesting films, but they're very, they're weird. They're very weird. They're very niche. -y. So, like, Burton fans, and, you know, let's, I think it'd be fair to say that, like, Burton fans are kind of movie dorks. Yeah. Like, if you like Burton movies, you're a movie dork. Well, I mean, not, I mean, the man directed not, Ed Wood. Right. I mean, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks. Well, no, but like, what I'm saying, like, Ed Wood is a exactly. movie is a movie about the movies. Right. right. Like yeah, I mean, it's a movie dork movie. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're a cinephile, this this that's the kind of thing you're into. Right, because like the average audience member in America who goes to see movies uh, doesn't know who the hell Ed Wood is. Nope. At all. But it just he has this this track record of really doing like weird stuff, and like the Batman movies are kind of outliers. They really are in his filmography as far as like mainstream appeal. Yeah. Because for the most part, that he he doesn't he has a couple like cult classics that caught on later, like. Beetlejuice and uh, let me think of another one. Nightmare Before Christmas. Did he direct that or was he the producer? I think he directed it. Okay, but yeah, but that it, it basically you're right. It is associated with his name. It is definitely associated with his name. So that that point of the movie where they say movies stay in developmental hell because they have a big name director, I think was the real for me the big takeaway. I'm sorry. He 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 did not direct it. He wrote it. He wrote it. Okay, that still had his stamp on it though. Yeah. So, and that, I think, is something to think about going forward with these Marvel and DC movies is, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. Like, are we going to hit critical mass with these superhero films? I mean, it's still an open question, but now it's, it's basically Marvel Disney has created their own studio system, as we mentioned earlier. You know, who knows where we're going to go? Right. I mean, it's, we, we've always had this desire for something new and interesting, at least in the Marvel films, because, you know, they have a good track record. You know, Ant-Man was an opportunity to do something really different. They almost did. It was still pretty good. And Doctor Strange, I thought, was an opportunity for them to do something really different. You know, they almost did. People still really liked it. Yeah, this is very true. So, you know, but we will see. I mean, it's like, are we going to see a Christopher Nolan Marvel film? I doubt it. You know, highly doubt it. Something like that. I mean, even though he did Batman, I don't think he would want to. But someone like that doing doing a Marvel film, I think we can expect that not to happen. Well, I mean, like we've talked about, you know, Marvel has a very distinct look, and DC has a very distinct look. Mm-hmm. I, I also would not expect John Favreau to direct a DC film. This is true. Yeah, I, I just because they're intentionally so different from one another, I don't see a whole lot of cross pollination there. No, this, I, I, you're probably right there. I'm just trying to think of like other directors that have their own distinct voice. I'm bl- drawing a blank. The only one I can come up with right now is like the Coen brothers. And I know they would never want to do a superhero film, but like other directors with like distinct voices that, you know, maybe they would do a good job, take, take a superhero and, and put them in an interesting direction. You mean other than Michael Bay, like we mentioned? Yeah. Like other than Michael Bay. <laughs> Michael Bay sucks. Well, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm, I'm drawing a blank at the moment too. This is like when we were like, Oh, Star Trek needs science fiction writers. Like who? Fuck. I don't know. Right. David <laughs> Brin. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I would still recommend the movie itself is a good movie. I, I should say this: the death of Superman Lives is a really good documentary. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm knocking it because it is a really good documentary. I just you don't one, neither of us yeah, agree with the premise he he puts down, but he like, he, he boy, argues it well. Yeah, I know he really does. He argues it as a fan. Don't you think this would have been cool? And I was like, no, this, this would make a really good movie art book. That's what this would. Yeah. This would be a fantastic movie art book. Not a good movie. I don't, I don't, I mean, if this were made, we would be talking about the flop of Superman lives for 30 years. And it, who knows, if it were made, it would have come out 99 or 2000, like right around the time of X-Men. And who knows how it would have, might have potentially poisoned the well for future superhero films. Yeah. Because, like you said, this is a really good point, and it's a it's almost worth watching the movie for. When they go through the list of flops Warner Brother was having, other studios are going to see the big flop of Superman 
uh, lives yeah. and go, oh, there's no way we're going to do a superhero film. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, like I said, Batman and Robin is significantly what is it played a significant role in killing yes. this film. So if you like that, if you, if you, if you like it, well, you, you've seen Jodorowsky's Dune. I haven't yet, but you would recommend both of these then, right? How do they stack up against each other? So, so just in terms of a doc, in terms of being documentaries, I think Jodorowsky's Dune obviously is far more refined. Sure. Right? I mean, this was. You should point out that this was a fan film, like basically more the or, death or, of more or less. Yeah. I think, yeah, at least according to the Wikipedia page, it was partially on, funded like, through Kickstarter. Yes, absolutely, it was. In Jodorowsky's Dune, I think the difference here is Jodorowsky's Dune. It was Jodorowsky getting people together, wanting to make this film, mm-hmm. and then trying to pitch it to a studio, and nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers wanted Superman Lives, and it just couldn't get itself going. Like it just, it was going in weird places, and then it came came apart. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think you've got to kind of got to keep that in mind when you're comparing the two. Is that Yodorowsky's doing? It was kind of a dream project of Yodorowsky, and like everyone's like, oh well, it would have been great. It would have been this awesome thing. But like, yeah, but you guys, nobody nobody was willing to make it. Warner mm-hmm. Brothers was willing to make Superman Lives, and then it came apart. Mm-hmm. But we did get the spider. That was <laughs> yes, actually like the pu- the big punchline of the movie is this Kevin's stupid Manai. spider. Kevin finally got his fucking spider. Finally got his spider that did. John Peters wanted a some kind of spider, and I know because I know the big kind of hook for Jodorowsky's Dune is well, all the work they put into this pitch, these this creative team took those ideas and put them into other films. Well, it, like was, the one, it wasn't even for Jodorowsky's Dune. It wasn't even just that that creative team because they gave the, the, the Dune, the infamous Dune book mm-hmm. to every major studio to try and help sell the film. So right. every major studio had a copy of all of their, all Ideas. their pre-production work. Yeah. Right. So not, not, not just that production team, but everyone in Hollywood had access to the pre-production work that Yodorowsky did. So the one claim that Superman lives can, can claim is creating the steampunk spider from wild, wild west in a Will Smith movie. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. For me, that was just kind of the big punchline of the... Well, that and the fact that they that Warner Brothers actively said, hey, we're taking your money and putting it in the wild, wild west. Right. And I'm just like, hmm, that was probably... And we not, all know how that Yeah, turned, that was probably that not out. your best decision. Like, I don't know that you should have made Superman Lives with it, but like, you right. know, maybe you should have made something that didn't suck. Right, like, well, I mean, really, really... So I, you know, the other thing, the other takeaway is that Warner Brothers did not have a good late nineties. No, no, they <laughs> did really not. The other way, they did not have a good late nineties. No, no. Oh well. All right. So, what have you been into this week? Well, I so I, I mentioned this a few pod, a podcast or so ago. I was up in Oregon and I went to Pal's Books and I got my books shipped in. So I was going through some of them. So a couple collected essays of Orwell. A uh, couple books on Napoleon, been paging through those. Then I, I went out to Barnes & Noble and picked up... This is actually one of the more interesting pickups. The movie... We didn't get to see this movie. I, I didn't get to see it. We didn't talk about it. The movie called Denial, about the libel case in Britain. Uh, a, a famous Holocaust denier named David Irvine sues a professor named Deborah Lipstadt from Emory University for basically calling the world's famous Holocaust denier, a Holocaust denier. And it is, the book is uh, history on trial. And it is about the like years of preparation, the 12 week trial and like the years, the two or three years of appeals that go into this, this Irving case. 
it's it's actually a pretty fascinating uh, story. So the book originally was called History on Trial. That's what I picked up. And then I found out it was reprinted and updated as Denial, the same name as the movie that came out this year. So hmm. yay for me. But it's but it was a an interesting pickup. I've paged through it a little bit, and I've listened to a couple of Lipstadt's lectures on the topic. She's a historian. This is one of those historians that just know everything off the top of their head. And oh, like, fuck them. You know, you know who I'm talking <laughs> about? Like ones who just they yeah. can give an hour long lecture from memory. Yep. And they go at like a hundred words a minute without breaking. Like she's one of those. And the she's... second you ask a question, you're like, well, what about this? Well, no, because of blah 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 blah. And like you, you can throw a fucking log in front of the train, and she's just nothing's gonna happen. She's no. Gonna, she's she, yeah, she's right gonna over. take 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 the turn and go right with it. Yeah, so it was, um, yeah, an interesting. So I'm actually interested in digging into that book. It's not a topic I know much about. I know it's like the backwards libel laws of Britain are kind of weird, where it's like if you make a claim, you have to prove your it's true and not the other way around. Like the burden of proof is backwards in Britain, and so it was. That was that was kind of it. Um, I am now over 100 hours on Steel Ocean, so that's always good. Damn, it's a fun game. I showed I showed a buddy of mine it last night, and he's like, I don't want to play this. It's gonna be too much fun. And he's like, Ah, oh, now I have to have this game. So that was, that's been about it. Oh, and I picked up another Conan trade. Volume Dark Horse Volume Conan 19. We're up to 19 now. Yeah. But it's an adaptation of one of the original uh, Howard stories, um, Zuthal of the Dusk. That's a good one. That's where Conan, like, straight up owns a girl. He just owns her. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And it gets, like, it gets, like, towards the end, it gets, like, super Fifty Shades of Grey. It gets kind of kind of kinky. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something. Nice. So, since I haven't been on in two weeks, uh, let's see. I finished... Oh, and I also, forgot, I also forgot. I did see, I think we mentioned it, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. We saw that over the weekend. That was nice. And The Edge of Seventeen with Woody Harrelson. I, w- I would recommend see- seeing both of them. All right. So, I finished The Tetris Effect, which is a very fascinating read, especially towards the end when Nintendo gets the rights to Tetris and basically has Atari, t- uh, Atari Tengen over a barrel and about to just you know, go to town on them mm-hmm. because Atari has no idea this is coming. And and basically there's like a personal, f- at this point for unrelated reasons, there's a personal feud between te- uh, Atari and Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo just, just beats the fuck out of Atari. Just <laughs> just, winning. Yeah. Just legally just owns them. And I mean, it's, it's, it's satisfying to, to, to read. And just in general, like the bizarre story of how Tetris got from the Soviet Union out to the West is really pretty fascinating mm-hmm. uh i got a couple of camera lenses as uh christmas presents so i've been messing around with those actually oh, those nice. depending on uh on what the light is like when we wrap up i may try and run out and do some sunset pictures just to see mm-hmm. to play around because it's the kind of a nice clear clear night with some with some clouds that could be some nice fun lighting i finished listening to homage to catalonia yes that's our big research project yep uh, I've also been listening to Harry Potter on audiobook, mm-hmm. and that's been I mean been enjoyable. You know, I think as a a, a thirty almost thirty two year old man listen, listening to the books for the first time, mm-hmm. I'm kind of eh on the books. Like they're they're enjoyable, but they're not like oh my god. Yeah, but I, I can also understand like you know a fifteen year old or a fourteen year old going ooh this is really cool. Which one are you on? Uh, the third one right now. Third one. So they're still kind of manageable. I forgot. I've had friends who like those books, and they just get bigger and bigger and yes, bigger they as do. they go along. Yeah, first one it was like eight hours, but then it was like nine hours. This one jumps to like twelve. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I think the last one put is pushing like eighteen to twenty-four. Ugh, okay, yeah. Ugh. 
Um, the guy, I mean, the guy who performs them is, does does very well. So they're at least enjoyable to listen to. Is it just one voice? Yes, one 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 actor doing it doing it all. Do they ever do audiobooks where they like have a voice cast? I know that would be expensive, yeah. but has anyone tried that? No, um, I'm like a third of the way through Battlefield Earth, and they uh-huh. do, they actually have a cast. That's cool. No, it's 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 really fascinating. It, it's it's very well done. I mean, it's Battlefield Earth, so you're just kind of going uh, after a while. But <laughs> right. That's why I'm only a third of the way through, and I started it like six months ago. Right, right, right. But yeah, I think that's about all I've got going on. Okay, sounds good. All right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com. Check out our blog posts and our podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. <laughs> so once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Dude. And you've been listening to Therefore a Geek. <laughs>